everyone, and welcome to Access Partnerships Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Isabella Pereira, a manager with the Data Policy and Trust Team. Today, we are recording the first of a new series called Women in Tech Policy. And with us, we have Michelle Peacock, who is the head of Global Public Policy and Government Relations for Waymo. Today, we're going to be having a conversation about Michelle's career journey and about her perspective on autonomous vehicles and what the future of AV looks like. So Michelle, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Access Partnerships Tech Policy Podcast. Um, hope you are having a great morning out on the West Coast today. So first, just wanted to get a little bit of introduction about who you are, if you wouldn't mind to tell us about your background and how you came to lead Waymo's um, global public policy and government relations team. Hi, Isabella. It's uh, great to meet you and I'm really excited about this podcast. So um, I look forward to being a regular subscriber. Um, I. <laughs> I, uh, to, I mean, to start with my background, I, I joined Waymo um, about nine months ago. I had previously uh, spent five years with a startup called Turo, which is peer-to-peer uh, -peer car sharing. So uh, you can think about a car that you might own. Um, you could let somebody else drive it and they would pay you uh, to drive your car. It's a way to offset the cost of car ownership. And prior to that, um, I spent 12 years at eBay and PayPal. And prior to that at uh, Cisco Systems in, in government relations, prior to that at Microsoft, and prior to that at, in a financial services company. Um, so I've been uh, doing financial services, tech, and transportation policy for, for several decades now. Great. Well, um, you know, thanks for going over that. I think it's definitely really interesting to hear you know, how your path has taken. I know personally as a user of Turo, um, you know, it's really interesting to hear about that side of it. So you know, what's one of the biggest challenges you face in your tech policy career? You've covered, you know, almost two decades of working for some of the biggest names in, you know, technology. Well, I, you know, I, I, I like to, to joke that, you know, when you're a child and you're saying, when I grow up, I want to be a fireman or when I grow up, I want to be a veterinarian. Um, there probably isn't any child ever who said, when I grow up, I want to be a lobbyist. Um, it's just one of those uh, careers that you find after you're, you know, further along in your career journey. And um, I, I was really no different. I, I, um, my first position in Washington DC was as an intern at the Washington Post. Um, and I, while I it was in a tremendous experience, um, I, you know, liked it. I liked Washington and I loved that environment so much. Um, and I learned a lot. I learned one of the most important things, which was that I didn't want to be a journalist, but I wanted to have more of what Washington had to offer. And so I actually dropped out of school um, to, to pursue and um, and so, you know, I would say that was a challenge to drop out of school and try to get a job, uh, drop, drop out of college, I should say, and try to get a job in, in, uh, in this space. And, you know, like a lot of young women trying to find their way in Washington, my first job was as a receptionist in a, the front office of a government relations um, department of a financial services company. And it, you know, set me on this path, um, you know, the... The, I went to, I finished school um, while I was working full time as a lobbyist covering um, the Ways and Means Committee um, because I had a great boss who uh, had, was a, you know, straight out of the Mad Men era, but he had three daughters my age and he thought they could do anything and he was like, you can do anything. And so let's give you this, you know, introductory junior lobbyist job. Um, and, and I did a really, really good job at it. And so it sort of set me on that, on that path. And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, the, the, those career challenges are, are things that really try to pick a direction to go 
and go after it and the challenge early in your career how do i get there and what am i supposed to do um about getting to um to the job that i i really want to have and and i think part of it is you know the early in in the career is being willing to take on projects that you observe need to be done and even if they aren't the most glamorous and even if they aren't the most fulfilling to try to be of service to the organization and show your nimbleness and show your flexibility and a hunger to learn and um and i think that those are are, are things that are really in, sort of enhance uh, someone new in their career men or women but i think that's something that really enhances the the career um you know gets you on that right path thank you for sharing that michelle so what is the most interesting project or policy challenge that you've worked on? Well, obviously, helping to bring autonomous vehicles to the to the public is a, is a big challenge. Um, and one that, you know, I nine months in, I'm still learning a lot more about how the, the technology works and how the industry works and, and, and all of that. So um, that is that is going to be a, a monumental challenge um, and one I'm really, really thrilled to get to participate in. Um, I think prior to that, probably the Turo story was the um, biggest challenge. Uh, it was a real David and Goliath, um, you know, typical disruptor business where the incumbent wanted to put the uh, the, the challenger out of business. Um, and in that case, it was uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car trying hard to um, enact legislation that made it difficult or impossible for Turo hosts to share their cars. Um, and while I was at Turo, we, you know, had legislation in um, about 43 states that needed to have like hands-on um, activity, and and you know that's 43 states, not 43 bills, right? There's dozens and dozens and dozens of of, of bills um, at the state level that we had to work on, um, and every single one of those could have been an existential threat. That they were successful, there would be no Turo in that and offered to that community. Um, in that state. So I would say that, you know, the, it, that work there, you know, until I came to Waymo is easily the most consequential work that, that I'd ever done because it really had a, a defining impact on the business. Going off of that and thinking about the importance of policy and regulation in shaping new businesses, you know, especially those related to emerging technologies, what role will policy and regulation play in the future of autonomous vehicles? So I think, you know, it's when you when you are start talking about a car driving around a community and it has no driver in it, the number one thing people are going to care about is how safe is this? And so I think that, um, you know, policymakers in, in general and the public community leaders, um, community groups in the industry are all really focused on um, autonomous vehicle safety. And so Waymo is the leader in this space. Um, we've been working on this technology for over 10 years. And, you know, we're in a really unique position where we can really help guide the discussion from a, from a you know, very senior and seasoned point of view. And, um, you know, we, we have done a number of really great um, things with respect to safety and, and provided a tremendous amount of transparency um, about our safety and our approach to safety. And obviously you could see all of that on, on Waymo.com. Um, but some of those things are the safety framework where we don't just claim this is this product, this car, this experience is safe for the community. You know, we show why we think it is safe. We talk about the framework, the, the methodologies that we use to assess safety. 
Um, and um, we are, you know, really leading the industry with safety reports, giving updates on this, our safety practices. And the thing that I think is really um, very interesting is the um, uh, new, uh, most recent report out of uh, Chandler, Arizona, which is the only place in the world that has a commercial autonomous vehicle ride hailing business. And, um, and, and we called it uh, crash reconstruction. So we took the data from all of the vehicular fatalities for 10 years in the Chandler area and ran them through the Waymo simulator to show that had one or, or one of the cars in one of those um, crashes been replaced with the Waymo driver, our suite of technology that drives the car, uh, that you know the there would be in, in, in um, there would be a reduction of, of fatalities a hundred percent of those fatalities would have been eliminated um, for the initiating car because the Waymo driver doesn't speed and it doesn't drive distracted and it doesn't drive drunk and it um, it really by abiding by those rules of the road can actually save lives so we think again safety is going to be the big focus um, of for regulators uh, going forward and you know what what we have to do as an industry is provide as much information as we can um, to policymakers and help them you know, create this path where it is um, going to allow for this tech to evolve. You don't want a regulation that's going to put a cap on innovation, a cap on the success of the business. Um, and so it's really got to be a collaborative process with, um, with policymakers. And you know, we think you know, Waymo is a leader in that space. And I guess going off of that then, what do you see as the most pressing policy issue for Waymo? You know, currently in the next 10 years, as you said, you know, regulators are focusing on safety. So, you know, what what is this space going to look like for Waymo? So, I, I, you know, I think, you know, generally speaking, I think one of the big challenges that the autonomous vehicle industry is facing right now is, is, is this idea by uh, policymakers who have a desire to regulate the space for a host of reasons, obviously safety being one. Um, and, you know, in some places in, in this country, I will say that, you know, the way lawmaking works and policymaking works in the United States, sometimes you get these, you know, legislators who are just interested in the issue and they want to do something on a topic that they're interested in and want to learn more. And so, you know, I always joke, I'm like, sometimes you've got folks who wake up and say, you know what I want to do today? I'm going to put a bill in on, uh, on auto regulating autonomous vehicles just to start a conversation. And, um, and while I love the enthusiasm... I think sometimes that regulation can get ahead of where the industry is. And so there's a whole lot of things there's whole, from tech development to making sure the, the market is ready and determining which markets um, and what kind of vehicles, what kind of platforms, you know, across the industry. I think that that's still very much um, in, in development. And so what I um, one of the challenges we have is finding a way to make sure that the regulations are. Um, not so far ahead of where the industry is and that if they are going to regulate that they aren't capping this you know innovation or blocking the opportunity to evolve this industry that's still very nascent um, and also you know set expectations with regulators when we engage with them that you know we want to talk to you about how we can make this regulatory landscape really work to protect you know citizens of your community and um, be super transparent. We would love to collaborate with you on that, but also set expectations that it may be a while before the AV ride hailing comes to your to your neighborhood. 
Um, it may be a while because the industry, again, is still the, in the early stages, way most further ahead than anyone, but it's still very much in the early stages. So I think that alignment of regulation and tech and the industry is needs to, that's going to be a big challenge because it's a, it's a, you know, challenging message to deliver. You, thank you for being interested in helping us create a great regulatory framework, and we're going to give you our input, but at the same time, it may be a while before you actually see this in your community. That is super interesting, especially, I think, you know, that almost turns the common narrative about technology and regulation on its head, and that frequently we see regulators and legislators having to play catch-up with a lot of, you know, the new technologies that are exploding in popularity. So I think that will be really interesting to watch out for in the next couple of years as we see technology like, you know, autonomous vehicles and Waymo, as well as, you know, even potentially in other emerging fields of how we see that relationship between regulation and, you know, practically and realistically, well, is the technology actually even able to be applied in the scenario in which we're trying to regulate it for? And I, I suspect that we'll see more like proactive regulation, not just in the AV industry, but in tech in general. And I think the transportation network company um, industry, the rise of that industry and the speed with which it grew and, you know, to some extent, the little bit of scorched earth uh, dynamic that happened there is making policymakers want to be, to get ahead of issues and make sure that they are, have complete understanding. It really, I think, is um, like like you said, it's sort of a, a, a new approach that I think we're going to see more and more of um, as, as technology evolves, not just in AV, but like tech across the board. So Michelle, um, as we come closer towards the end of our time here, I wanted to quickly um, bring this back out to you in your career and talk about some of the advice that you've received over you know, the last couple of years. You know, is there anything that stood out to you as being most impactful for how you think about your you know, career journey? Is there anything that you would share to someone who's especially starting out in tech policy? Yeah, I would, I would love to share that. I think um, one of the, I remember very, very early in my career, um, I worked with this brilliant, brilliant woman. Her name's Valerie Morse-White. Um, she um, is just one of the most incredible people I'd ever worked with. And um, and she was a financial services uh, lobbyist. I worked with her at one of my, at my first company and she went on, she also worked with American Express and she's, she's just tremendous. And I remember vividly, very early in my career, Valerie giving me this advice and it was, or guidance. And it was that um, when presented with a new challenge, a new opportunity or a challenging project or something difficult, she said, in her experience, she has a lot of women say to themselves, uh, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. This is going to be really hard. And, and there's, you know, sort of approach it from this negative standpoint. And she said, and then they go do it. They work through the problems and they deliver the product or they have their, their success. And she said, she doesn't see that happen as often with men, especially young men early in the career. Get when given a younger or a, a challenging problem to a younger person, a man newer in their career, um, an opportunity or whatnot. They're like, yeah, I can do this. And then they go do it. And she said, what's interesting is the approach and the, the mindset, because the outcome is the same. They tackle the challenging problem and they deliver the result. And she said that, and she said the, the goal and the, the challenge she challenged me was change your mindset. She said, when given a new opportunity and a challenge, have confidence that you can do it. And she said, that is, it just sets you up to have a great success faster. 
Um, and that's something I have thought about. Um, and I think it did make me feel more open to taking risks and tackling big projects. I, um, you know, I, my first job was lobbying Congress after being a receptionist. Um, and then my boss said, I need you to go to New England and set up a, a, a state government relations program in the New England states where I had never lived. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. He's like, you'll figure it out. And I was like, okay. And so I went up there and it was really, really, really hard. And I figured it out. And so I think all of those experiences make, you know, make you realize that, um, there's, that it's hard, but you can do it. And, you know, sort of the corollary to all of this is that admitting that it's hard and admitting that you're lost and that you need help, I think is okay. Um, you know, I have a, a whole kitchen cabinet of people that I talk to all the time um, for, for various reasons. And they're, you know, business colleagues or friends who I've worked with. And, you know, I get input from them on things constantly. Um, and I, I, you know, there are people whose opinions I respect um, and who I, you know, I, I've seen them tackle similar projects. And I think it's okay. I, I, it feels like even at the, you know, later stages of my career, here have been doing this for, you know, years and years and years, um, that I still have lots to learn and am learning all the time and could use all of that support. So I would say that would be my best advice. And then the, the last piece really is about the learning. And that is even in opportunities that I've had where I didn't, you know, like the job that I was in, I still, I took a lot out of it. Um, I had one one job um, when I was working at PayPal. I had I made a, a brief stop working for the business, and so it left my took off my government relations hat and worked on my it had a marketing hat on. And you know, I quickly realized this really isn't for me. I don't really really like this, but I learned so much. I mean, my my spreadsheet skills are like I they have to be spreadsheet skills of any public policy person in the world um, after after that. And I met some incredible people who are just brilliant and talented and, you know, really inspiring. And, you know, and I, and I learned a lot. So while I didn't love that job, I'm so glad I had that experience. And I, and I, you know, I think that there's something to take from every new experience that you have in that way. Well, thank you, Michelle. I think that is very valuable advice, especially um, for, you know, those early career women and thinking about how to approach those first couple of jobs and toughly, tackling, like you said, some of those tough challenges that you're going to experience in the beginning, as well as across your entire career. So thank you for sharing that. To wrap up our time here, I thought I would ask you a couple of speed questions um, related to technology and emerging technology. So first, do you think that blockchain is overhyped or revolutionary? Can I say both? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely understand that. I feel like there's so much media attention and speculation on it right now, especially as we see, you know, cryptocurrency really taking off with Coinbase's IPO this week and everything. Um, but there definitely are some, you know, very realistic um, and life-changing applications that uh, blockchain can bring to, you know, communities and companies across the world. So excited to see what that looks like over the next, you know, 10, 15 years. Secondly, do you think that we should be moving towards data-driven or user-driven experiences? And no pun intended with autonomous vehicles. <laughs> well, I mean, based on my uh, experience in the last several years working in the transportation, I'm all about the users. So um, I think the user experience can really, you know, using that to inform business decisions 
is uh, something that a lot of companies have to um, should should be doing. I know uh, we know Waymo does. We use data too, but I um, I think that that user experience is going to be critical to a lot of consumer facing uh, businesses. I would agree, and I think there's something also to be said for the idea of a human centric design of that. You know, thinking about your end user, the target, um, really helps to bring about some um, you know more applicable and better used and better um, better designed products. So lastly, we've got this question about autonomous vehicles. So do you think the biggest roadblock to autonomous vehicles is regulation, infrastructure, or user trust? User trust. I, I think that is going to be uh, the biggest challenge, um, is getting people comfortable with this idea. Um, and, and, I, and I think they will. Um, you know, I would encourage any of your um, your your listeners to to do a, a search for some of the amazing user videos that we've uh, seen online from um, our Chandler operation, uh, where somebody gets in the car and you know is videotaping themselves taking a ride in a driverless car in you know a Waymo Waymo One car, and I think the thing that's so um, they they sort of tend to follow the same sort of narrative these videos, which is oh my gosh. This is so exciting. I'm getting in a car that driver, this is the future. This is thrilling. And then they get in the car and the car takes off and it's super exciting. And then it very quickly gets kind of boring actually, because it's just a car driving according to the rules of the road, following the speed limit, coming to complete stops at lights, making turns just like you would any other, any other video. So it always cracks me up because they start very excited. And then they're like, yeah, now I'm here. And that was just a ride in a car which I think those experiences are going to really help us build this user trust that it's, there's you know, the confidence that it is going to be what you want, which is a trip in a car that's actually kind of boring. That is a great perspective. I had not thought about it in that way of, you know, when you're sitting in a car that's driving itself, there really isn't much more to it than just that. You are getting to point you know, A and B the exact same way as you would have been normally. And I think that sort of predictability, that confidence that it's going to happen in that way are going to be the things that will build the trust. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Michelle. And thank you for joining us here today on our inaugural episode of Women in Tech Policy. We really appreciate all of the um, perspective and insight that you've given to us on your career and advice for other women who are just starting out in their journeys. Thank you. It's great to be here. And um, I'm really excited about uh, being the inaugural guest. That's, I mean, what an honor and, and lots of luck with this podcast. I, I can't wait to hear it. Thank you. We're really, really excited.